If you have a Bible, uh, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they will get one to you. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to finish the chapter starting at verse 12 and going to the end. And, And let's read that together. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be, ma- I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's pray once again as we start. God, I ask for your help um, as we talk about these things. Lord, I pray that the importance of this would grab our attention, grab our hearts, our, our thoughts. And Father, that you would move us from this place to where you desire us to be. And as we talk this morning, God, I pray that there would be clarity. I pray that there would be, Father, focus and direction. And Lord, that you would be honored in this time we have together, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're obviously still in 1 Corinthians because we're talking about sex some more. Um, we've been talking about that since chapter 5. We kind of took a break last week and talked about some issues dealing with one another. And here we are talking about sexual immorality. And actually next week it's going to go on into marriage. And I hope you guys can, can stay tuned in and focused. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you can just see them turn off? You know, you're talking to them and all of a sudden it looks like you're staring at the eye of a chicken, you know, it's just kind of, it's like, you know, you wonder what's going on there and there's just like, they've tuned out and they, they've basically abandoned the conversation and left you there continuing to talk. Sometimes we hear things over and over again and we can get to that place where we kind of tune out what is taking place because, oh, here we are, we're going to talk about this and, and we have this idea of what what's going to be said, and so we just assume that we know what's going to happen here. Oh, we're going to talk about, yeah, don't have sex. I know what the Bible says, and yeah, I'm going to tune out to this. But really, 
again, we're dealing with this as a family. From chapter 5 on and continuing through this, this is one of those family meetings. Have you guys ever had a family meeting? Okay, we're having a family meeting, everyone around the kitchen table. And it's like, okay, turn the TV off, turn the radio off, stop texting. Okay, this is serious. Everyone sits down and, and dad waits for everyone to be hushed silence and staring in fear, wondering what's going to happen. And all the kids are wondering, did he find out about me? Um, you know. <laughs> and then you proceed to talk about something that's serious. And, and those meetings usually don't involve the friends. If the friends are there, they're asked to leave. You need to leave now, Johnny. We're going to have a family meeting. And if you're not a part of the family and you're sitting there, it's usually a little bit awkward. I shouldn't be here. This is a family meeting. And maybe you're here and, and you have not committed your life to Christ and you're going to feel like, I'm sitting in a family meeting. Well, I, I hope this is something that still the truth of what we talk about resonates with you. Because even in those family meetings, sometimes the things that are discussed are things that are applicable to us in our lives. And I trust that'll be the case here. Two themes are presented here in this portion of the scripture, and this problem of sexual immorality involves these two things. One is the sexual immorality itself, and the other thing is the body that Paul spends some time and talks about. And these two things go together. He is not just talking about sexual immorality. He is connecting it to our bodies, and of course, that only makes sense. And the question that is being presented here for us to understand is Paul is asking, is it okay for you in the Corinthian church to sleep with the prostitutes that are there at the temple in the city of Corinth? Now, I don't know what that does to your mind when you hear something like that. We're not used to hearing that thing at church. Is it okay to sleep with prostitutes? But this is something that Paul was talking about to the church. In fact, the town of Corinth was known for this. In fact, they had their own terminology. Corinthianization was the idea of, hey, we're going to go to Corinth. It's like a big brothel. It's the dude ranch of that time. And you go to that city and that's what it was known for. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Not. Um, it was that kind of attitude. This was a place where this kind of lifestyle was taking place. And so he is talking to the church and asking them this question, is it okay for you who are part of the church, who are followers of Christ, to sleep with the prostitutes that are there? And although that might shock us or might make us go, oh my gosh, really? I think what has to happen is we need to talk honestly about this area of our life. Because I think a lot of people think that God is concerned with this church part and going and, and worship part of our lives, but this whole other dimension or this you know, sexuality, God is not concerned about. It's here. He's talking about it. He's been talking about it. It's throughout the scripture. And you see, God is the one who has designed and created us 
And so this is a part of who we are, and there's not a separation between our religious or spiritual life and our physical and sexual life. God has created us as a whole person that includes both those things. And, and I'm going to be tempered because of our group here. I, I'm not here to try and offend anybody, and that's not the intention of Paul's writings. But Paul is very blunt in the things that he talks about. The scripture is very blunt when it talks about sex. If we were in the book of, or the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, which we will not be in unless it is in a specific category, because it is very explicit in the things that it talks about. Why is that there? Because that's a part of who we are, how God has created us. And our lack of conversation in this area has done a lot of disservice, I think, to many who've grown up in faith. The reality of our lives is that our children, we have our, our daughters who are getting pregnant or our sons who have gotten the girls pregnant or have had abortions because of a, a pregnancy that was unwanted. And this has happened and it takes place in the church on a regular basis and we, we hide it and we put it under you know, the rug so that we don't have to deal with these things because we want to look all nice and pristine. But the truth is, this is something that has to be dealt with and we have to talk honestly with and we should be able to talk openly about so that it is not some weird thing that we can have real discussion about this. And Paul does here. And they were holding that they had a freedom that allowed them to do this. They believed, the Corinthians believed, that there was no problem to go ahead and have sex with the prostitutes that were there in the city. And Paul is saying that there is something bigger that is taking place here that they were unaware of. This, just, this isn't just about sexual immorality. What's really at stake here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to go on to explain why that is. In verse 12, he says, everything is permissible for me. Now, what he is doing is quoting basically a slogan that was there for them. This is kind of their bumper sticker of the day. You know, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Boom. You know, this is their, everything is permissible for me. And they got this mentality, no doubt, from coming from the, the Jewish traditions and now the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles were no longer held accountable for the dietary regulations or the Sabbath days and a lot of the Jewish religious ceremonies, they had freedom. They were not under the law. And that's why in the King James Version or New American Standard, it'll say, all things are lawful for me. The idea is, hey, I'm not under those regulations. I'm not under those rules. Everything is permissible for me. And that was their mentality. And that's why later on it goes, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. The whole idea, that was another slogan. It's like, well, the food is just for your stomach. The stomach is just for food. And you can see where their mind's going. Sex is for the body. The body is for sex. Everything is permissible for me. And, and Paul addresses that. But notice what Paul does. Or notice what he doesn't do. Because I think this is real interesting. Paul doesn't attack or begin attacking their behavior. He doesn't say, you can't do that. But what he does do 
is address the belief that they're holding on to. When they say all things are permissible, he asks them what that really means and if that is actually true. Because he says all things are permissible, he doesn't disagree, but then he goes on and he says, but, I, it says, but not everything is beneficial or not everything is good. So everything is allowed, but not everything is good for you. Now he's brought in this idea of morality. That there are things that are good, there are things that are not good. Everything is free for you. You're not under a legal obligation, but not everything is good. He goes further and he says, everything's permissible. But I will not be mastered by anything. And what he's asking now is if there is anything good which brings God into the picture. And he asks them because ultimately God is the one who determines what is good or what is not. And he asks them, is God a part of this freedom that you are partaking? Is he involved with this or is this something you are doing apart from the goodness of God and from the morality that God has given. And then he says, I will not be mastered by anything. How many times have we seen our freedoms become our masters? I I can think of a, a few people that I know in the area of drugs and alcohol who started off just partying, just having a good time, just all in fun. And you say, hey, man, you stop drinking. You shouldn't do that. Hey, man, I can do what I want. I'm free. And years later, you see that they are not really free, that now this drug or this alcohol is actually what is controlling them. I know people who have gone through drug rehab programs, and has been clean for years and then fall back into it. And what's happening is what they thought was their freedom is now their master. And the same thing is true in this area of our sexual appetite. Oh boy, this is something I can enjoy. This is something that I can indulge in. And then pretty soon it becomes something that controls what I do and how I behave. You know, It's really something that we have to recognize is an important part of who we are. That sex is just one of the more powerful desires that we have. And we can't ignore it. I remember when I was in Wales and I was talking to a group that was there and there was a group of young men who who weren't followers of Christ, but they were interested in what we were talking about. And I remember talking to them, and they said, okay, well, let's have a, let's sit down, guys, and let's talk. And, and we started talking, and they said, I asked them, so what questions do you have? And one of the guys immediately says, why can't I have sex? And I got to tell you, I had some of the most honest and open discussions with these people who were not people of faith. He just wanted to know, what's the big deal? Why can't I have sex? Why do I want to have sex? And I told him, you know, God has created you 
to desire that. And God wants you to have sex. Now, before you say, okay, I'm out of here. Let me preface it and say, but there is a freedom to have this that is good. And there is a freedom to have this that is not good. There is a freedom to have this relationship that can produce something that will not control you, and there's a way where it can control you. And take it with anything else. Being successful isn't wrong, but there's a wrong way to be successful. If you abuse people, if you misuse people, if you take advantage of people to get your own gain, that's wrong. You're free to do it, but it's not beneficial. It's not right. And the same thing is true in this area of our sex life and our sex drive. God has created us with this drive and he's given it to us for a purpose. It's legitimate. It's not bad. But the freedom has to be done in a way that is going to be beneficial, that is going to be good. Otherwise, it can become very harmful. And, and we live in a time of, of convenient atheism, practical atheism. And what I mean by that is this. We talk amongst each other. I believe in God. I, I have faith. And I, oh, yes, and we have this conversation, and God is a part of our conversation. But then when we are off and in a place by ourselves, we lose sight of that relationship. And you're in the car and you're driving and someone cuts you off and you cuss them out. Well, you wouldn't do that at church, most likely, amongst each other. But by yourself, there's no problem. I remember my brother one time was driving and he saw one of the guys from church and he goes, hey, there's that guy. And he, he honked his horn to say hello and wave to him. He honked his horn and the guy flipped him off. Um, and I'm like, oh, hey, dude, <laughs> nice to see you. You see, but in church, the guy was all talk about God, talk about Jesus, but this convenient atheism is, you know, when I am by myself, God is not necessarily in the picture. He doesn't really have a presence in my life, only in certain conditions. And that's true for many of us, even in this area of sexual relationships. We're controlled when we're in an environment where there's people, but what about when there's not? Is God still present? Is he still active? Is he still working in our lives? You see, the curse of our society is that physical pleasures are desired more than spiritual joy. Where this becomes the focus, this becomes the goal, this is what we want to do is satisfy the pleasures of our body at all costs, Oh, we don't talk like that when we're at church. We don't have that conversation. But that's how we live outside of this kind of environment. And so what do you believe? You see, just be honest with what's really taking place within you. Otherwise, we can't have an honest discussion. If that's what you care about, then understand who you are. Understand what drives you. Understand that this is how you're living. That God is not the one who is giving you guidelines and directing your life, you are doing it. Just be honest. Because otherwise you're fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. You're deceiving yourself and you will be mastered 
by the things that you give yourself to. And so Paul is talking to them about this attitude that they have that has separated them from God in a real sense, that has given them or has mastered over them and is controlling them. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And the picture there is, especially at that time, if a, a city didn't have walls for its defense, anyone could come in and take it over. If you do not have self-control, your life is open for destruction. And many people, even in the church, do not have self-control when it comes to the area of their sex life. It's just done in secret. It's just done on the computer when no one's looking. That practical atheism takes over. The kids aren't around. Wife's not around. I can move forward in this. And you're opening your life for destruction because you are not showing self-control with this area of your life. What is sexual immorality? A, a, a simple definition. Anything sexual outside of marriage. That could be looking, touching, feeling, even talking. Anything that produces that kind of banter that would be sexually enticing outside of marriage is sexual immorality. And you're saying, man, that includes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, that pretty much does. But Paul is addressing this so that they will understand what needs to take place with them. And as they said in verse 13, food for the stomach, stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Their little slogan, well, you know, food for the stomach, sex for the body, it's all the same thing. Paul says, no, it doesn't transfer. Yeah, food in the stomach is a temporary thing, but your body was actually made for something else. Your body was actually made for the Lord. And then he goes on, and it seems a little bit strange to us in verse 14. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. It's like, why is he talking about resurrection? I thought we were talking about sexual immorality here. Now we're talking about the resurrection because he's talking about what our bodies will become. We will receive a new body that will be glorified just like Jesus did. That our body doesn't decay and isn't gone forever. Yeah, the physical one that we know, but there is going to be a new body. What that looks like, we're not really sure. But know this, that the idea of resurrection always includes a body. There are no resurrected spirits. There are only resurrected bodies. And so the idea of your body doesn't matter, he's saying you're wrong. Your body really does matter. It's for the Lord. The Lord is for the body, and so transferring this idea of food and permissible and food for the stomach, body for sex, it doesn't transfer. You, you can't go there with this. And he's going to take apart their way of thinking by presenting the gospel pattern and all that it means. You see, we're used to making a list of do's and don'ts, and we don't see Paul doing that here. Paul doesn't say, 
don't do this. Later on, he'll say, flee sexual immorality, but then he goes on and he says something more because what we're not trying to do is give us a law, a list of what we can and can't do. What he's trying to do is take the freedom that we have and have it produce something that is beneficial, something that is good. The freedom that God has given us, which includes our sexual appetites, to be put to practice in a way that is going to be good for us and not something that is going to bring us under its control. And so he goes on in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And you know, I have to stop there and ask us that question. Because that's a pretty powerful statement. Do you realize that your body is a member of Christ himself? That changes everything, if that's true. If my body is a part of Christ, if I am a follower of Christ, remember I'm talking to family here, okay? Some of you are going, I came to church on the wrong day. Those of us who have said, I am following after Jesus, do you realize that your body is a part of Christ himself? We want to detach ourselves. And we talked about this in chapter 5 when they were dealing with the man who was sleeping with his stepmother. Okay, again, we're talking family here. Problems. And they said the church is just dismissing it, say that's a personal problem. He goes, no, you're erring. Don't you see when one person errs, it affects everybody. And our lives are connected to each other through Jesus Christ. And my body is actually a part of Christ himself. And now that brings responsibility onto me. And that's why he goes further and he says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. The implication of that should make us stop and go, no, you can't do that. Christ would not sleep with a prostitute. Then why are you Corinthians? And now take it to ours. Maybe you're not sleeping with prostitutes. I hope not. But will Christ sleep with his girlfriend, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend? Will you take the the member of Christ, and unite it with that person in that relationship? Is, is Jesus okay with that? Would Jesus do that? Because your body is a part of Christ. And if Jesus would not do that, why are you? He goes on and he says, Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve and brought them together and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And picture, if you would, two pieces of cardboard and you get some glue and you glue it and you glue the pieces of cardboard together and you let it dry. And then you tear it apart. 
what happens? Well, it, it's messy. It's, it's, it's damaging. It's hurtful. There's parts of this onto this one, and, and it causes a lot of things. And he, he's basically telling them, don't you realize if you not, unite yourself with a prostitute, you're, you're going yourself in a very real way to this person, and it's going to affect who you are. Now, I know from my own personal life, and I know from a lot of people who I've talked to, the damage that sex has caused in a person's life without the commitment of that covenant and that promise in marriage. I can remember walking down the hallway in high school and seeing this guy and this girl talking, and she was just bawling. She was just crying, and she was saying out loud without any shame, how can you do this to me? I gave myself to you, and you're just going to break up with me? How can you do this to me? And she was just being disintegrated in my very eyes. I remember seeing this and going, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And that happens over and over again, and people are scarred, and they're torn, and they're hurt, and it's damaging, and it's left scars on them mentally, emotionally, and we move on and say, it's just, it's just, Freedom I have. I have this freedom to joy. I can use this girl how I want. I can give myself how I want and think there is no consequences to it. And you're wrong. This is something that is more than just a physical act. This is something that God has created to bring that glue into a relationship that is meant to last. It is something that that husband and that wife are able to enjoy, and it's unique. This is ours. And when you go through difficulties, and everyone who's married does, there is something that you have that brings you together, that is able to even help to heal. It's something you can look forward to. It's something that is rich. It's something that is deep. It is powerful. And it was made to be that way. But are you going to take this and just use it with a prostitute? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, not realizing the seriousness and, and what this really means? Because you belong to Christ. And here's where we have to, again, understand then if my body is a part of Christ, well, what about my relationship with my wife? That seems kind of weird. And you see, that only seems weird because we don't understand the God who created us, who made us this way, that he is the God of sex. Now, I know you say that by itself, and it seems, what? I'll join that church. You know, it's just kind of, yeah, there's the God of sex, but he's the God who's created sex. He's the God who's created music. He's the God who has created the things we enjoy. He is a God who is love. And these are all part of who he is. But you see, you're free, but not everything you do is good. You're free, but don't be controlled by those freedoms. 
You have to have the walls. You have to have the boundaries. And God gives us those boundaries. Anything outside that marriage relationship sexually involving you is, is wrong. It's immoral. Then the question comes out, well, how far can you go? Okay, I'm just on my high school days teaching high school. Well, what can I do? You know, Give me a loophole. Give me something that I can... And we want to know, well, okay, what can we do? How far can we go? But take any other sin, if you will. Murder. How far can you go to murdering without it being murder? Can you torture them? Can you just maim them? Can you run them over? I mean, what, if you see, all of a sudden, it doesn't make sense. You don't, you don't go to the thing that you're trying to stay away from. And so we want to make regulations, don't we? Okay, well, if you can't do that, then there's, okay, you can't talk to any, uh, any women who are already married. You can't, I mean, I actually know churches that make a list of things. You cannot text uh, another married woman. You cannot, you know, instant message. Um, you, and they have a list of things. You have to make sure you follow these things. If you're a married person or if there is another married person, you stay away from this thing. And that's our attempt to try and make those boundaries clear. But you see, what's strange about that is I don't see that in Jesus. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. He was by himself. There was a prostitute washing his feet with her tears and drying it with his hair. And they said, if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't see. You see, the boundaries that Jesus had was he knew who he was and he wasn't going to go there. For some of you, it's a text message. And you know it. And don't go there. For some of you, it's a different conversation. For some of you, that boundary. But there is a boundary where you do not cross because it will take you to a place that is not healthy. And you have to know those boundaries. I can't tell you that boundary. You belong to Jesus. You have to know that boundary, and you have to listen to God. And Paul doesn't set the boundaries, but he does tell us, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't you realize you can't do that? You can't go to this place. But he who unites himself with the Lord, verse 17, is one with him in spirit. How do you combat sexual immorality? You unite yourself to Jesus. You see, it's not about taking the cold showers. It's not about stop. I got to just stop thinking. Okay, everyone, stop thinking of the color blue. Yeah. Okay, good luck. You think of the color blue. Stop thinking about it. I'm not going to say it. You know, just stop thinking. You can't stop thinking if you're trying to stop thinking. But what you can do is start living in a life that is connected to God by the Spirit and allow Him to be what occupies your heart, your mind, your desires. He's the one who drives you. And now, guess what? If you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill those desires of the flesh. It's not about stopping the desire. You can't stop the desire of your flesh. God put it there. It's supposed to be there. But what you do need to do is control it until that time. You have to use what is there in you for the good. And now you walk in the spirit. You connect to God so that you can live a life that is pure and free from sexual immorality. And you're going to struggle because it's a strong drive and we live in a culture where it's prominent. It's a click away on the computer. It's on the billboards. It's on the TV. It's in the commercials. It's in the conversations. 
People approach you. It's in the bars. It's everywhere. You're going to be confronted with it. How do you stop? You have to be connected and united with Jesus. Again, I'm talking to my family here. And that's something that we need to recognize and we need to do. And he goes on in verse 18. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. And again, that's anything outside of that sexual or that marriage. And this is the only place that Paul really just says, don't do this. And that word flee is a continual process. It's not just one time run away. It, you have to always stay away from it. Always stay away from anything that is immoral. But he doesn't leave it there. He, he says, all other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You sin not just against, or sexual sin is not just the sin sexually. It's a sin against your body. It is something that you have to recognize if I belong to Jesus then the sin isn't just in the act that I'm doing, but it's in the person who I am. And when God bought us, when he gave himself for us, and this idea that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, that we've been ransomed. When God bought us, he didn't buy us to make us slaves. I know that we're servants, we call ourselves servants, but he didn't buy us to make us slaves. He actually bought us to make us dwelling places. And this is real important. If anything else sinks in, I hope this does. God didn't die for us so that we would be his servants. God died for us through Jesus Christ so that he could fill us with himself and that we could be his dwelling place. In other words, he didn't die so that we would stop doing certain things. He didn't die for us so that we would stop sinning. He died for us so that he could start living within us. And the whole intention here is You've been bought with a price. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be a slave to your passion, whether it's drinking, whether it's sex, whether whatever it is. You don't have to be a slave. You are now his dwelling place. You are the temple where God dwells. And if we would only understand how easily we sell out, if we could get a glimpse of what the potential is in us and the life that God wants us to have, the sex life that God wants us to enjoy, the relationships that are available for us, if we would recognize the beauty and the glory and the things that God has for us, we would realize that we are selling ourselves so short for pleasure, 
for a moment when God has a life that will transfer, that will transfer not only in how we live, but will be carried down to our children and even to our grandchildren that will be shaping our character and who we are, the kind of people that we'll be, whether we will live lives of contentment or continual dissatisfaction. And you wonder, why do you keep living this life? I see you going through this over and over and over again. You don't realize that you are being mastered by these passions that you have. You are no longer in control. They are controlling your life, and God is wanting to set you free. He's wanting to be in your life. He's died to make you his temple, his dwelling place, so that you will not be a slave to anything. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And we need freedom. We need freedom from sexual immorality. We need freedom from the bondages of this world. And to get that freedom, we have to recognize who we are. And that's what Paul said earlier in chapter 3. Know who you are. That your body is that of Christ. That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That it is God himself who lives in you. And you are free, as free as anyone on this planet. But that freedom has a responsibility to do what is good and not to be brought into bondage. And so don't use that freedom in the wrong way. But live your life in the right way so that God can be honored within you. Let's pray. Father, I feel like there is such deception and blindness in our, our minds and our eyes concerning this whole idea of sex. And we are being sold this way of thinking. And we are buying it, Lord. We are just giving ourselves to it without understanding what else is available to us without recognizing that you, you are the God who gave us this drive and you're also the, the God who gave us the boundaries to, to live in. And you did it for a reason and it's for our benefit. God, we just don't see things that way. Father, we, we don't even go there in our our minds. We, we've accepted that it's either I enjoy my life here or I don't enjoy it and follow Jesus. And that's just not the case. But those seem to be the, the choices the world throws out to us. And so we end up not recognizing who we are and being much less than what you desire us to be. Father, my desire here this morning was not to bring condemnation, but understanding. Lord, 
Paul spoke to these Corinthians as believers, even though they were engaged with this. And his purpose wasn't to condemn, but to enlighten, to set them free from their lifestyle, the habits that they've created for all those years. Lord, there are habits here that need to be broken. There's a way of thinking that just isn't right, that needs to be changed. God, there are things that we do that we don't even ask, why am I doing this? We are being mastered by these passions. And our lives are like cities without walls. And God, we pray that you would restore those walls, that you would rebuild them. Father, that you would give us insight to see why we were created and who we are and what this means to us as your family, as your children. I pray you would set us free. I pray that you would restore marriages and, and lives that have been in bondage to these things. Those who are, are just tempting, Lord, or being tempted, or, or flirting with danger, Lord. I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would flee this immorality, Lord, and realize that they belong to you, that our bodies are yours, our lives are yours, and may you be the passion of our life, and may in that passion you control all of our passions and use them to their fullest for your sake. Do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.